A record number of Americans hired in June, but will the recovery stall? And the Supreme Court lays down judgment in two cases. It's time to get informed, America. Let's go. You're listening to Get Informed, America, the only true unfiltered show that's fighting fake news and finding common ground. Now, here's your hosts, Dave Oakenquist and Rodney Johnson. Hello and welcome to Get Informed America, the show that breaks through the mainstream media box to bring you real smart news. Hi, I'm Dave Oakenquist and joining me is the smartest man I know, the wizard of wit, Mr. Rodney Johnson, editor of InformedAmerican.com. Rodney, how are you today? I'm doing well, Dave. How are you? I'm great. We are here. Um, not quite the, the the dead zone yet, Rodney, but possibly here on this Thursday as we're heading into the July 4th weekend. Uh, we wanted to uh, touch base with all of you and talk about some of the items over the last week. Uh, as ahead of the holiday, Rodney, do you have any special plans for July 4th? No, and the uh, the local governments keep, you know, narrowing the plans that we could make. We just had the beaches closed here uh, on the Texas coast. Oh, no. And, you know, yeah, get-togethers are, are now kind of banned in restaurants or they're reducing capacity. So it is what it is. But it'll be getting together with family, with a lot of people that we have seen uh, during the course of this entire thing. So hopefully we are not spreading the virus. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get to all of that in just a bit. So so I won't see you maybe flying by on a rocket over the, over the Gulf Coast <laughs> over the weekend? It will not be me. <laughs> okay, well, it might be somebody. Uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, and it, we've we've got a a long three day weekend here uh, company wide, and then I and then I attacked on attacked on that upcoming Monday, and I'm like, well, because I never use all my time, but um, you know, what am I going to do? And I don't. The answer is not clear yet. <laughs> I, anything different than what you're doing now, right? No, not really. <laughs> Uh, but unfortunately, you know, I will not be uh, on camera for everybody. Uh, so, so sorry, sorry to to all of you. I think we're good with that. <laughs> I think everyone will be okay. We'll take a little break. I think we're good. <laughs> All right, let's get to our first main topic of the day, which is news this morning. Uh, the U.S. economy added 4.8 million jobs in June, Rodney, uh, smashing expectations of 3 million. So big, big beat there uh, on the jobs front. Uh, the unemployment rate fell uh, to 11.1% on 12.5% expected. And a couple of highlights, uh, industry-wide, Rodney, as, as, as expected, I would think, a good, a good solid bounce from leisure and hospitality, which is essentially restaurants right now, uh, 2.1 million jobs gained. Retail, 740,000. Uh, education and health, 568,000. And manufacturing, 356. Uh, thousand. So uh, at the so before I hand this off to you, it looks you know certainly positive news. Um, does this give some hope for for what we've been hearing is this V-shaped recovery? In other words, where we were here, we dipped down really bad, and then and then we're kind of rocketing back up. Does it give some hope for that, or or are you skeptical still? Well, <laughs> I'm skeptical. Um, yeah. So adding back a couple million jobs in in leisure is a great thing. Clearly, I want people to go back to work. Yeah. Um, the, the surveys are taken in the week that includes the 12th day of the month. And so I know, as we will talk about, states are now reclosing. And so uh, there's some of that cutback going on. But, but we have to keep in mind the magnitude of what we're trying to recover from. We went from 3.5% unemployment to 163 And so coming back to 11.1 is fabulous. Yeah. But it's not near 35 
even if we, you know, claw back to seven and a half or eight, which sounds fabulous when you're comparing it to 16 something, it's still more than twice where we were. And so the V-shaped recovery requires that you go all the way back up to where you were. Mm. And that's just, it, it's not out there yet. And so you've seen a couple of Fed governors come out and say, look, don't expect this within six months or 12 months. Think years, not, not singular, not year, but years to get us back to where we were. Yeah. And uh, just a couple of months ago, the, I believe it was 20.5 million jobs lost, uh, two reports back. And then, of course, additional people uh, filing for uh, jobless claims and all that. So, yeah, we're, we're really nowhere near. So hopes dashed. Uh, and, and, and even still, um, even without, um, so let's just get to this, this spike in cases going around in the country. This certainly, I mean, looking for, you know, looking ahead to maybe the July report, Rodney, we would probably expect it to, to stall a bit, right? Well, I mean, I do. Um, I expect this one to stall some and I was wrong. Uh, I, I'm looking at it perhaps a bit differently looking at the report for July that'll come out the first week of August. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about states and Every state but Vermont is required to have a balanced budget, and the fiscal year for almost every state starts on July 1st, and so they were required to pass a balanced budget essentially by last week. Um, some didn't. Some pushed it out. New Jersey kicked the end of their fiscal year to September 30, mm -hmm. but a lot of them did, and they have taken extreme measures to balance those budgets, including cutting personnel. And so I, the city of New York has a, a program to cut over 20,000 jobs just in the city. And so I think you're going All to- All cops, see, right? <laughs> uh, well, and, and, and they're not cutting cops. I mean, you bring that up. Uh, they do have a plan to defund the police department by $1 billion, which is one-sixth of what uh, the police department was budgeted. Uh -huh. And they're going to do it by limiting overtime and moving police safety to other agencies. Um, so it doesn't cut police, but it does cut police hours. And it does cut a 1,000 people who are in the summer class uh, who will not be added to the roles of employment. So oh. my, my point is that I think you're going to see public employment take a hit as we get through the summer. Yeah. And then, uh, well, of course, all of that, uh, I mean, that just has a trickle down effects, right? Because like yep. I said, I mean, that's a lot of people that are expecting uh, to work, say, for the New York Police Department, uh, people who expect to be employed, whether, you know, either on either side, uh, public or private side. Right. And, and a lot of them, um, states won't out now fire. Um, firing people, it, it's not firing. Firing's easy. Getting people back is really hard and getting them yeah. trained up on the job. Even if you rehire the same person a year later, things have changed in the office, something of the workflow. Yes, they have some familiarity, but they don't drop right back in. And so what I have seen in some research on this so far is that states are planning for furloughs and they're telling employees, hey, we're not going to fire, you know, 200 people. We're instead going to ask 4,000 people to take a furlough of 20 something days during the year. And so what they essentially did was cut pay. I mean, call it a furlough, call it what you want. At the end yeah. of the day, you make less in the year. Right. And that's going to be pretty difficult for people. Yeah, that's uh, so we've got, so, you know, I was feeling really good. I was feeling really good this morning uh, before we recorded about this great jobs report uh, and, you know, the real, real positive news. But uh, it is a reminder, it, Rodney, uh, you reminded me mm -hmm. and, and everyone here of how long or how far we, we really do have to go. Yep.
So I'd like to talk about the cases, Rodney, uh, as we've been hearing about them spiking. And I've got this really cool dashboard from the uh, Kaiser Fi Family Foundation. And I don't know if everyone gets a chance to see these kinds of graphs, uh, but I want to show really, you know, kind of what's going on um, nationally, especially, and maybe we'll look at a state or two uh, as I... Here, I've got this up. So this is Rodney. We're looking right now at the seven-day rolling average and change of cases nationwide. And uh, look where we were. We were heading down uh, as into you know late May, early June, as, uh, as we've seen economies, uh, states begin to open up. And of course, let's uh, please not forget mass protests around the country. Uh, I, don't, you know, I don't think the mainstream media would like to ignore that like it didn't happen, uh, but it did and certainly contributed to cases. But here we go. I mean, this is just skyrocketing, um, you know, far and above. And I believe today we hit another record in daily cases. And of course, this is a seven-day average. Um, so what, before I move on to uh, what I think is mo more important, which are deaths, what do you, what do you make of this chart? Rodney, um, if you like my editorializing on what happened. <laughs> I make of it the same thing everybody else does. When you tell everyone to stay away from each other, the virus doesn't spread as much, but you haven't changed immunity. And so we didn't kill the virus. Nobody expected it to go away. What we were trying to do was not overrun the healthcare system. Yep. And so by definition, when it opens back up and more people are together, it's going to spread. Uh, the question becomes, of course, I assume, you know, as we're going to jump into is mortality. And yeah, what we've go. seen is an incredible drop in the average age of the person who's getting it, uh, which is actually a good thing um, because, you know, younger people are getting it. Younger people develop some immunity. Nobody knows how long it lasts, how long the antibodies stay in the system. Uh, but we have seen that little pop in mortality, as you're showing there. Yeah. But it's not near where we were. No. The, the, the problem remains, though, hospital beds. And so, you know, I live, as I've said, here in the greater Houston area, and uh, we have a concern because, you know, we've got some ICU beds still available, but they're looking at the rate of people using them. They're not dying, but they are in the hospital for a few days. And so uh, Gall or Harris County, where Houston is, has taken some measures to try and, you know, mandatory face masks, this and that, so they could say, hey, wait a second. We, we know people aren't dying like they were, but they're still using the hospital and we can't overrun that healthcare system, even with young people who recover. Yeah, and it's something you know, to that point, Rodney, I think where there were, you know, mass gatherings and uh, economies beginning to open in some places like, here, let's just, I'll show New York here. This is, uh, here's, here's seven day deaths in New York. And you talked about immunity and it made me think, yeah, I mean, if you look at New York, much of this, I mean, the thing is basically it was an absolute disaster in New York and New Jersey in particular, um, but it did sort of work its way through the population. So when there were gatherings, it's not quite as bad as it could have been. Uh, as, as you say, Houston, of course, um, I think I believe that was uh, I'm just thinking back to George Floyd. I believe that was his, his hometown and the funeral there was was a total <laughs> massive event uh, with with a population uh, that was not it had did not have the exposure that, say, a New York did at the same time. There's a there's a time lag. And here I go shifting to Texas deaths. I mean, rising right up there. So starting at, uh, you know, the, you know let's call it let's call it June 10th or something. Um back up, up, up in a, in a state that didn't quite have the exposure level of, say, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Washington, D.C. kind of area thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so you're seeing that in your area. So that's Texas. We've been hearing bad things about Texas in terms of deaths. Um, where, where's another, let's pick another state, my home state of Florida. Let's look at deaths in Florida uh, as we're getting here. Let me, Sarah, bear with me here. So coming back up, it looks pretty similar. Um, 
not that much different. It never really completely headed down, although the numbers themselves aren't as large. Um, right, right. The graphs are a bit misleading because they yeah. make them fit to the chart. It's it, it looks like from the graph that we have the same number of deaths that New York did in the right. early days, which isn't true. They're, they're a much lower absolute number. That's right. And here are, uh, and actually, I mean, you can even look at, say, testing um, going way up. I mean, that's right. seven days. And, and it's not just tests, uh, as some people want to kind of excuse it away. Um, but tests do play a role. And the more testing, and I'm even he hearing some cases, well, this was an Elon Musk tweet about false positives. And I, I haven't been able to follow up on that. Have you heard much of that, false positives? I, I have not. But the testing side is interesting. Um, and, you know, just anecdotally, you know, you meet people who, um, they, they get tested to go to work. People who work in restaurants get tested. People who work in all sorts of places get tested to go to work. Certainly where we live, there's a lot of petrochemical and the plants are testing everybody that comes in the door. And so they're catching a lot of people who have it very early when their temperature is, you know, instead of 98, you know, two or six is up around 99 and a half. And they're like, hey, you have to go to medical and get tested. And some of them come back positive. Now, yeah. not, not all of them need medical care. Obviously, they're asymptomatic or whatever. But here's the point on this. They can't go back to work. And we don't talk about this. Right. There are many people in these jobs where, and I'm not talking petrochemical, let's now go back to leisure. You're at a restaurant. You work on tips. You've got your job back. You test positive. You're out until you are clear for two weeks. Yeah. And so whatever length of time that is for you, you're just out of work. This is, the testing is expensive. It requires somebody to do this. The right. cleaning is expensive. We've added a cost to business. And we are telling people on a rotating, uh, random isn't the word, but unknown basis, people will be out of their job for some length of time. And it's typically going to be people who are retail facing who get paid by the hour or by the tip and they're just going to lose the money. That's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> There's just no question about it. Which goes back to therapeutic and vaccine, therapeutic and vaccine. We don't talk about it a whole lot anymore. Yes, I know it's in the paper. And so yeah. you know, it's out there, but it's not tip of tongue anymore of the people who are developing these things. And once we get that, that's a game changer. That, we're that's still a year off from the vaccine and this remdesivir thing, it's what the latest estimate is going to cost you three grand, even with insurance. Well, thanks so much. I mean, I'll go bankrupt again or something. I, I don't know. What's better, fight through the virus or, or get stuck with a $3,000 bill? I, I don't know. I, I really don't know the answer to that. And by the way, as you said about deaths, which is I was right for you to point out. Here's a here's a good one, which I which I found earlier. Uh, COVID deaths per million population. To put this in perspective, New Jersey, uh, nearly seventeen hundred people per million. New York, sixteen hundred. Connecticut, twelve hundred. Here's Maryland, five hundred. Florida, one hundred sixty-five. Not even close. Texas, eighty-five per million versus. 1700 for New Jersey. So let's put this into, into some perspective here um, about what's going on now. We're, we are seeing an explosion of cases, um, certainly, but not, not the deaths that, that accompanied it earlier in this pandemic. So that is a massive distinction. Ron, do you have anything more, more to say on, this, on cases and pessimism? Uh, we've, we've talked COVID-19 to death, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, let's move on to the Supreme Court, Rodney. Uh, we got two decisions uh, this week. Uh, this is Supreme Court decision season. A story from a foreign American uh, by you, Rodney. U.S. Supreme Court finally reads Constitution rules that must be uh, rules that law must be neutral on religion, not excluded. And uh, this is a five-four decision uh, citing First Amendment rights. That it basically the it was the uh, the state of Montana, I believe. Uh, they had pulled funding from uh, people who had chosen to, to, uh, to, to, they were given school choice and some of them chose private schools, in this case, religious schools. And then Montana's like, oh no, we can't do that. Uh, but the Supreme Court says that a state doesn't need to subsidize private education, but once it decides to do so, it can't disqualify some private schools solely because they're religious. So certainly it appears about a victory for school choice and, uh, and uh, certainly for, uh, for religious schooling as well. Right. And I, I hope this one rolls. Uh, the case was actually <clears throat> based on a Montana program that allowed people to give money to a scholarship fund yep. that the state would then make available to families, <clears throat> low income families uh, who were in school districts that were not doing well or people with children with special needs, who, people who decided that their local school wasn't giving their child everything they thought was available from perhaps another school. And so some of these parents would then choose a parochial school as the best choice. And this is the case that made it up to the Supreme Court in Montana, who said, hey, our law, it's called a Blaine law, which passed in the 1870s, which was meant to discriminate against Catholic schools, uh, actually, um, said you can't do this. But they recognized that they couldn't say, hey, you can't use the money for a parochial school you can only use it for something else. And so what the state of Montana did was say, we're just going to do away with the whole darn program and kind of hope that solves it. And so it was very interesting that the Supreme Court took it and continued to rule on it and say, no, 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 no. You can't do this. If you're going to have a program at all, it of course has to do this. And you can't get rid of the program just to try and solve this. I say this is interesting to me because this is the same thing, and I know I'm going to reach out here in the left field and, and, and talk about something, um, the same thing that happened with the state of New York and gun control laws, okay. where you know the state of New York changed their ruling of where you could take a gun because people said, look, I can't, I can't transport my gun to a range or anything, given the New York law, and right before it got to the Supreme Court, New York changed it, so they said, hey, it's moot, you shouldn't even take this, you shouldn't even talk about it. And so I think it's interesting uh, from that perspective because they took it anyway. I think it's very interesting down the road because, um, you know, we're having a lot of conversations about equal access to education and what that means for somebody later in life. Yeah. I've got a big heart for that. Uh, and so it's something that I've kind of beat on for a number of years and different things that I do. And I think school choice and I think uh, charter schools are the thing and that children are held back. And one of the things that people use uh, as a club in that is, well, that you don't want to see parents choosing to take the money that would have gone to a public school and then moving it to a private school. And it's like, you bet I do if it's going to give the kid a better education. I think that's the best use of the money. And so hopefully this will knock down some blame laws around the nation and will inf better inform education and bolster school choice. Yeah, absolutely. And so what, what is the point there if, if, say, money, well, the money goes to the public school anyway, right? No, no. And that's, that's the thing. In this particular instance, I think it did. This was a scholarship fund. Right. But when you're doing charter schools, 
what usually happens is when the child goes, what there is a not a full but a partial allocation of the money that would have gone to that child for public education then goes to the charter school and say, I, I, I think in New York, it really is $22,000 a year per student. Wow. I, it, it's some astronomical number, uh, but call it 10, right? Just for ease. If 10,000 goes per pupil to a public school, they would send eight over to whatever school was chosen. I see. Uh, if that child had school choice. And that's the thing that people who are involved in public schools, uh, it makes them shake in their boots. Right. Some of it for good reason, because the point is, look, if you take money away, we can't get better. You're, you're starving this, this system that's trying to improve. Uh, but but what, are, again, are you making a competition argument then? So what, what's, what's, your counter, what's your counter to that? That you're failing. Okay. And if this school can do it better with the lesser amount of money you're sending, mm. maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, maybe. because I think uh, there's, a, there's a mantra out there that we're – Defunding education in the United States, and if you look on, I mean, you mentioned that twenty-two thousand, uh, and you know, even if even if it's not quite accurate or whatever, by off by a little bit. But it, the point is, per capita, per pupil, however you want to measure it, the United States is far and away uh, the biggest spender uh, in in the world on education. And uh, yeah, all, and what we've all... proven is that larger spending isn't improving the education. Right. And yeah. so, education does improve by other metrics. Uh, we know the one thing that improves education, parental involvement, that there, there is no question in, in any research I've read that the one thing that will make your student do better is when the parent gets involved to make sure that they're doing the homework and they're staying on top of things and all the other stuff. Um, but barring that, uh, there are some different ways to improve education, which many of these uh, charter schools have shown us, mm -hmm. but we are not bringing that into many of the public schools, some of which are in the exact same building with them. I don't know, Rodney. I think what should we should do instead is throw more money at it. And, and what we need are more administrators who can help run this thing. I think, and they, and they should all have uh, uh, six figure salaries. No. And pensions. At a hundred percent. Right. And it's a, it's a glib thing to say. I get it. I, and, and, Again, your heart has to be with people, right? You're a teacher. You've been there 12, 14 years. You're kind of doing your job, right? You're a good teacher. You're an average teacher. You're not terrible, right? Let's call it, you know, you do your job. And, and then your school loses funding and the pain is spread across the board. It's like, wait a second. I'm not bad at what I do. Why am I getting punished? Because, you know, some of these people are choosing to go elsewhere. And so right. it's painful. But change is painful. And if the system isn't working for these kids at this level, then what we're doing is setting them up to kind of be behind once they start their adult life. And let's change now so that we, so that we stop doing this as soon as possible. Agree, Rodney. All right, let's hit our second Supreme Court decision. This is a 5-4 decision coming from a Louisiana law that would have required uh, uh, abortion practitioners to have been uh, uh, licensed along or will be allowed to practice within a hospital as well. So it would have been stepping up the criteria allowed for someone to perform an abortion, basically, with, I think, the aim of, of, of limiting it uh, because not everyone could qualify. I'm not exactly sure what the, what the qualifications are for someone to perform an abortion in the state of Louisiana, uh, but in this case, they wanted to be affiliated with a local hospital. Uh, and should, maybe should something go wrong uh, to be able to treat them there. But 
this follows a, it's, this was struck down uh, because it, uh, it hit apparently uh, a Texas law was similar to a, te- a Texas law and ruled 5-4 with uh, Justice John Roberts uh, siding with the liberals again. Uh, so Rodney, do, what do you make of this case to me since it seems to, since the story here is that it's so similar to a Texas law, they're just ruling on precedent. So, okay, fine. Um, what do you think about John Roberts? Is he the next uh, Anthony Kennedy on the court? Yeah, you didn't Anthony do this Kennedy? story justice on your lead in there, Dave. Um, what did I miss? It's, it's admitting privileges uh, for, for physicians. And so the, the law was, hey, you have to have admitting privileges. Um, but the, the, the big deal here is John Roberts was in the dissenting group when the Texas decision came in. But John Roberts moved to the majority striking down. Ah, I'm sorry, John Roberts was in... Um, uh, yeah, was in the dissenting group in Texas. So saying, when he's hey, calling precedent that he must rule on, he actually viewed differently. Exactly, uh, exactly. And so he, it, it's as if he changed his mind to rule against Louisiana. Yeah. But he did it saying, because we have to, rec- we have to um, respect precedents, stare decisis. I have nothing for it. <laughs> it's like many other things where I look at it and it's like, wait a second. Yeah. If you decided a case on the merits and you found that it should be one direction a couple of years ago and you say this is the exact same case, which is what he said, and yet you're saying only because of precedence am I changing my mind, then you are by definition saying I'm deciding against the merits because it was done this way previously. Yeah. That's a really bad way to decide things. <laughs> Well, that's why I asked, is he the new, is he the new Justice Kennedy? And so it, it seems to me that's what's going on. He's, he's, he's appointing himself as essentially the moderator of the court now. Well, uh, the, the moderator of the court. I, Kennedy was interesting because Kennedy, uh, you never knew where he was going to be. And his, his views, call it matured, changed, developed, I don't, whatever you want to call it, his, his views would expand over time. He didn't say, I have the same view, but for precedence, I'm just going with the group. I mean, yeah. my goodness, this is truly, you know, lemmings jumping off into the sea. Uh, and so that is not a Kennedy thing. Is he the swing vote? Of course he is, right? He's the guy that is clearly, you know, you don't know which direction he's going to go, but it's for very different reasons than Kennedy. And so I, I don't put him in the same camp at all. <laughs> well, thank you so much, <laughs> Justice. Remember, he's the guy in 2010 or 11 for affordable care when it was passed. And to get it through Congress, they 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 said clearly it's not a tax because it couldn't be because they couldn't pass something that was a tax without a uh, supermajority in the Senate. And so they said, well, it's not a tax. And then when they got in front of the Supreme Court to defend it, they said it's a tax. It's like, well, wait a second. You're the ones that are on record saying it's not a tax. And Roberts is the one who said, well, they say it's a tax now, so we're good with it. So he's, uh, he's another, been doing this another, a long time. Yeah. Thank you again, George W. Bush administration, for, for everything you did for America. <laughs> Rodney, the last thing I want to mention here, another item of BS. I don't know if you have one or not, but mine is a story for the New York Times. And we talked about this last week, and I said this is coming, Rodney. And uh, this is a story from the New York Times, not opinion, but in their news section. Uh, Mount Rushmore was built. This is uh, the, the tweet that goes with the story. Mount Rushmore was built on a land that belonged to the Lakota tribe and sculpted by a man who had strong bonds with the Ku Klux Klan. 
It features the faces of two U.S. presidents who were slaveholders. Uh, so here we are, July 4th. Could we see, could we see Rocket's red glare <laughs> blowing up the Mount Rushmore, a celebration for our country, Rodney? Uh, this is coming. It's coming. It's, uh, I think this, this, uh, this is going to be one of those, one of those fights. Uh, so what, what do you make of this thing? And do you have any other BS uh, that you've heard over the last week? Uh, I think that uh, any monument put up before, I don't know, yesterday is at risk. And so, you know, if if you're looking at historical figures, man, most people have something wrong in their life. It's going to be very difficult to find somebody who measures up to what seems to be the current yardstick that people are using. Uh, so I, I hope that this ends very quickly before we get ahead of ourselves. Is this and, iconoclasm? Because I, I don't imagine that, that there could be a monument going forward of anyone. Um, right, right. And, and, but I, that, it, it seems so obvious, right? What was somebody famous for? What was somebody famous for? George Washington. He's famous for being the general of the United States of you know, the revolutionary forces and then being the first president of the United States and, and for saying, hey, I don't want to be called his majesty or anything else. And by the way, I'm only going to serve two terms because I don't think anybody should serve more. And so he set a real precedence in terms of this democratic experiment called the United States of America. That's what he's remembered for. He was also a slaveholder. Yes, he was. Uh, but it's not the main thing. And so that, that kind of becomes, right, what, what's your main thing uh, in a positive way that you are remembered for as to why people were doing this? Uh, and, I, and I always pull the distinction with Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee was a great general. Um, Robert, e. G. Was, Robert E. Lee was a general for the Confederate forces. That's what he's famous for. If he had not been that, he would have been one more in a line of people who was the superintendent of West Point. Yeah. Unless you went to West Point, you probably wouldn't know he existed. And so I look at those statues and think, hmm, should they really be around like that? They were all put up 60, 70 years later anyway. But they were. There, there's so many of these where it's like, wait a second, we're talking, you know, Washington and Jefferson and Lincoln and Roosevelt because he was there at the time. Really? We're going to call these people out for something that was legal and common ish at the time only four percent of americans ever owned slaves uh, but but still you get my point i do odd you know what i don't get though or sorry not not to not to completely say everything you said is irrelevant but it sort of is uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna logic our way out of it um i, I don't know quite know what the answer is but i, I don't know that reason discussion because we didn't get reason discussion here and you can't you can't you can't reason someone out of a, a, a position that they clearly didn't reason themselves into that they're in now or at least uh they used a different set a diff different rubric of reason that's so different from yours that they just simply won't accept it um so i i, I struggle with that although I, your points are all correct and true um i, I don't i just don't know what the answer is to, to, to yeah. that speaking of of uh you know reason rationale and and not i my point of bs was the chop uh, area of <laughs> in Seattle. I yeah. love the fact that the uh, the mayor said, "Hey, you know, people have been shot now in this yeah. lawless area with no police, and this is bad." And imagine that it devolved into a force of the strongest, where people were shot and people died. Two people Shocker. died, including a sixteen-year-old. And uh, she said, "Hey, all of you should go home by Sunday morning." And they didn't. What they did instead was march to her house and then spray graffiti on her house. That's when she got pretty angry and said, okay, now we're going to use force. And I think it was actually yesterday on Wednesday that they were dismantling the chop area by force. Yes. As she said, wait a second, this became brutal. We can't have this. Yeah. And everybody else is saying, what took you so long? 
And, and by the way, she also mentioned she was amazed at the level of trash and destruction ah, and, you know, personal property vandalism. It's like, where have you been in all this? So uh, nowhere. <laughs> at her house. Apparently, she was at her house. She was. Well, yeah, she was. She was hunkered down in her house. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, this is just. This is pure. This is pure power, Rodney. There was no negotiation. There was no. This is a. We're just going to send in the the cops and just demolish it. Um, there is. There was no reason discussion. It's basically who holds the power and who can exercise it. That's it. So that's that's my political philosophy. <laughs> But it's, as I tell my, tell my kids often growing up, there's always somebody stronger. Yeah. There's always somebody faster. The rule of law is what you want, and uh, it exists for a reason. So do all you can to change it when it's wrong, but change it within the system, right? Uh, because once you, once you walk outside of that, you are stepping into the area where it is the law of the strongest. And typically, that person who is the strongest is now holding an AK-47. <laughs> Great points. Uh, I, I agree with you. I've just become jaded over the last couple of months. Well, thank you so much, Rodney, for coming on. I want you all to become informed Americans by subscribing to this channel. Hit the like button if you've enjoyed this show. And also head on over to informedamerican.com where you can get real smart news in your inbox every single day. Rodney, while people are maybe barbecuing and uh, lighting fireworks over the weekend, if they want to check out some, some real smart news, uh, what kind of news can they expect in their inbox over the next com coming days, over the weekend and uh, into early next week? Well, it's going to be COVID. I mean, I believe that there's some really good news coming on some therapeutics and even vaccines. Uh, we're, we're getting kind of worn down by all of this. And so, of course, the stories are going to be about gatherings and people who illegally get together. And, you know, we're going to have all the judgmental stories on that. But hopefully by the middle to the end of next week, we'll start getting some, some positive news on some medicine that can help us out of this mess. All right, sounds great. For Rodney Johnson, I'm Dave Oakenquist telling you to get informed, America. You've been listening to Get Informed, America, brought to you by the Informed American Radio Network. Please like and subscribe today in order to get new exclusive weekly episodes. Any questions, thoughts, or comments can be sent directly to info at informedamerican.com. And don't forget to visit informedamerican.com to keep up with real, smart news. Until next time, fight fake news and find common ground.